Well, a blessed Christmas to each and every one of you and your families. Uh, Christmas has come to mean many things to us in many different uh, angles, but the core of celebrating Christmas, at the core of all our celebrations, is the miracle that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, eternal in existence, condescended to take on human flesh, to be incarnate, to be our Savior on the cross and the Savior of the empty tomb. The theological word, of course, for God taking on human flesh and humanity is incarnation. Dr. Charles Ryrie defines incarnation in this way, and I quote, the eternal second person of the Trinity took on himself humanity. Then Dr. James Montgomery Boyce wrote about the incarnation, and I will quote, it, that is the incarnation, reveals the value set by God upon human life is declared to be valuable by the creation alone, but sinned, cheapened life. The incarnation coming in the midst of a history of human sin indicates that God has not abandoned us, but loves us and values us even in our fallen state. The incarnation does two further things. It shows us that God is able to understand and sympathize with us, which is an inducement to come to him in prayer. Also, the incarnation gives an example of how a person ought to live in this world. End of quote. This year, as you may have seen on the PowerPoint slide, I will be preaching a series of Christmas sermons which focus on the reasons for the incarnation, the biblical reasons that Jesus Christ took upon himself human flesh. And the reason of this sermon that we'll present from God's word today, the reason that Jesus became human today, we will see, is that he became human to manifest God to mankind. And so the incarnate God-man Christ is the divine answer and the only divine answer to the question we may have, what is God like? Ever wondered that? What is God like? Do the people you work with ever wonder, what is God life like? Do your children ever ask you, what is God like? Well, God is like Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus' mind is God's mind. Jesus' words are God's words. Jesus' holiness is God's holiness. Jesus' power is God's power. Jesus' wisdom is God's wisdom. Jesus' glory is God's glory. Jesus' forgiveness is God's forgiveness. Jesus' love is God's love, etc. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I might say there are three chapters in the New Testament that are particularly Christological, particularly instructive about the person and work of Jesus Christ. They're all chapters one. John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, and Hebrews chapter one. John, Colossians, and Hebrews chapters one are particularly Christological in teaching us about who Jesus Christ is and what he does. And in Hebrews one, one through four, it says the following, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, 
upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The Greek word in these verses, which was translated the express image, conveys the idea of the effulgence. Now, that is not a word that we typically use nowadays, the effulgence of God. Effulgence means the radiant splendor of God. Jesus came, became flesh, became human to show us the effulgence, the radiant splendor of mighty God. Another way to talk about effulgence or the radiant splendor is that Jesus Christ is the exact duplication of God. Like a stamped image on a coin. If you look at one of the Bahamian coins, every quarter in the same minting has the exact same image on it. No variation. Jesus Christ is the exact stamped image of God. Or a coin is one way to compare it. Another way to compare it is to make a careful impression in soft clay. If you press that Bahamian coin into soft clay hard enough and don't smudge or move it, you will get in the clay the exact representation of the coin that you have pressed into the soft clay. Jesus Christ is the exact representation, the effulgence, the radiant splendor of God. You know, if you were to lose one single eyelash and it were to fall on that coin that you were going to press into the soft clay, that if you did that carefully enough, even the one single eyelash would show up in the impression made in the clay. And so it is with the, the absolute infinite fine details of who God is, they are all seen in the Lord Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And so we go on. The God-man Jesus Christ exactly shows and explains God to us. And the Lord Jesus himself made this clear when he said all of the following. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, John 14, 9. He said, if you've known me, you would have also known the Father. He said that in John 14, verse 7. He said, I and the Father are one. He said that in John 10, verse 30. He said, the Father is in me and I in the Father. He said that in John 10, 38. Which brings us to John chapter 1, verse 18, just a few verses beyond what Jonathan read for us earlier in the service. John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time prior to the incarnation. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. The Greek word translated here, declare, means to explain, to interpret, to translate, to relate in full. And that's what the incarnate Jesus Christ does for us. He was in the bosom of the Father from all eternity past. He stepped across the galaxies, stars, and planets that he spoke into existence as creator God, came to our earth as a baby born of a virgin the first Christmas so that he would explain to us God. He would interpret for us God. He would translate for us God, and he would relate all that God is to us. 
since we weren't alive on earth in the first century when Jesus ministered literally on earth, we see who God is through Jesus Christ's ministry and work as recorded for us in our Holy Bibles. And so the Lord Jesus became incarnate, took on humanity, was born a baby in Bethlehem so that he could manifest or reveal God to mankind. Put another way, the Lord Jesus Christ became incarnate, that is, took upon himself humanity, was born a baby in Bethlehem so he could declare God, interpret God, translate God, and relate to us in full about God. Greek professor Kenneth Wiest, in his expanded translation of the New Testament, presents John 1, verse 14, and John 1, verse 18, with these words, and I quote, verse 14, and the word... Entering a new mode of existence, became flesh, lived in a tent, bracket, his physical body, end bracket, among us. And we gazed with attentive and careful regard and spiritual perception at his glory, a glory such that is of a uniquely begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. Weiss expanded translation of verse 18 in John 1 is this. Absolute deity in its essence no one has ever yet seen. God uniquely begotten. He was in the bosom of the Father. That one fully explains deity. Want a full explanation of God? Study the person and the work and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Swiss theologian Frederick Louis Godet makes this comment. Quote, the quality attributed to Jesus of being the perfect revealer of divine being, watch it, is founded on his intimate and perfect relation to God himself, end of quote. Another biblical commentator named M.R. Vincent points out that the phrase in the bosom of the Father, remember John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Vincent, on the concept of Christ being in the bosom of the Father, said, and I quote, this depicts eternal relation as essentially a relation of love. The love between God the Father and the love between God the Son is, is the basis that is being revealed in the incarnation, in the fact of Christ Jesus taking upon himself humanity. And this love relationship from eternity past was why the Lord Jesus on the cross, dying for the world's sins, temporarily estranged from his holy father while he bore our sins on his body on the cross, why he cried out, sensing that separation that had never been ever present between he and his father's love relationship pre previous. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That temporary Palestinian darkness when God the Father figuratively turned his back on God the Son, when God the Son bore and carried our sins upon himself. It was so hard on Christ. It was so, such a suffering for Jesus because from all eternity past, he was in the bosom of the Father, having unbroken and perfect love relationship with the Father, and the Father having unbroken and perfect love relationship with him, the Son. And so Jesus Christ is, you know I trust and believe as I trust. The Lord Jesus Christ is very, God.
He is very God. He is eternal. He is uncreated. And on earth, having become incarnate, he spoke as God. He did miracles as God. He rebuked as God. He forgave as God. He loved as God. He died as God. He rose again as God. He manifest God. He declared God. He interpreted God, translated God, and explained God. He fully related God to us. His identical essence to God the Father made this possible. And his identical nature to God the Father made this possible. And his regular prayer communion with God the Father made this possible. And him fully doing the will of his Father, even the cross, made this possible. And his eternal love relationship with the Father made this possible. And so the big idea of this message, this sermon, Christ made God manifest to mankind. You know, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, you love this scripture, a prophecy of Messiah, as do I. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In what sense is Jesus Christ incarnate, Everlasting Father? Well, in two senses. In the first sense, Jesus Christ is Everlasting Father, and that he will act like a father to his people. But in the second sense, Jesus Christ is called Everlasting Father because he is just like the Heavenly Father, and he came to earth to show us the Heavenly Father. So what we're seeing today is that Christ, in coming as incarnate Savior, made God manifest, obvious, showcased to us. And we're seeing today that one of the main reasons for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus was so that the Lord Jesus Christ could manifest God to a planet full of human beings. Colossians chapter 1, one of the beautifully Christological chapters of the New Testament. Remember I said John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. In Hebrews, or excuse me, Colossians 1 has some beautiful concepts about our incarnate Lord and Savior. It says in Colossians chapter 1, among other things, he, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word translated image is icon, from which we use the term icon, like on your cell phone, your smartphone, the app. Do you know what? Whenever you tap on an app you have on your phone, you always get the same content. And you always get all the content that that app will trigger for you. Jesus Christ is the image of God. He is the exact representation of God. Everything that Jesus Christ was and is, is God. He is the image of the invisible God, the copy, the exact likeness, the perfect picture. Christ is the perfect picture of God because he is God. And since one of the main reasons for Jesus becoming human was that the Lord Jesus could then manifest God to man, I want to suggest something for you and I to do in the new year in our times of private Bible study or our times of Bible study with our children who still live under our roofs. I want to suggest what we could do is we could study in the new year one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, And we could expressly study one of those Gospels, noting in a notepad all that we can about the Savior in the particular Gospel that we are studying. That would be a very worthwhile study because it would reveal so much about who God is, what God is like, 
what God has done, what sin God opposes, etc. So how about we start that particular Bible study plan on January 1st of 2022? That would be my challenge for us in the new year. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for accommodating to our needs. Not only realizing that we are visual learners, you sent your only son, that we could see God, that those in the first century could walk with God, talk with God, hear God, teach, watch God heal, observe and with wonder God die in the place of sinners. Lord, we thank you for the treasure we have in our Bibles, that the accurate record of all that Jesus Christ said and did while on earth is in print for us to read and reread and memorize and ponder over. Lord Jesus, thank you for condescending in obedience and love to step across all the creation which you made to leave your heavenly home in the bosom of the Father to show us grace and truth here on earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when the cross, the shadow of the cross was over Gethsemane, that you said, not my will, but thine be done. And you drank the cup of suffering and shame and pain that we all deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you became human. You took humanity upon yourself because of your great love for us. We adore you. We bow down before you. We share you with others. We put you first above all things and all people. And we look forward to your return, maybe soon. Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church, the savior of the body. You are the head of this local church, and you are our savior. Lord, may we never, ever get over that miracle and that grace and truth. For we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your holy and beautiful name. Amen.